Good evening and welcome to NUFC Matters and it's a seven days, uh, seven interviews and seven days special and it's good evening to Warren Barton. How are you, Warren? I'm very well, my friend. You've got some friends, haven't you? you I've seen the list of calibre people that you've had. Norberto Solano, Tino coming up. Fantastic. Yeah. You're, us- you're using all your contacts, my friend. I am, mate. Well, listen, it's good for the fans. It's good. It keeps everyone's morale up. We've got Alan on as well. Uh, with a, you know, Alan doesn't do these kind of things. You know that. And to get Alan on last week to promote his raffle was fantastic. And uh, mm-hmm. it, hit, it hit the hundred thousand pound mark as well, which is fantastic. Crazy. And he's still got a, still got a couple of weeks to go. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I said to him, I said, you better dig out a few more shirts after this. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said to him, he can match whatever they're matching as well. So let oh! Me I'll let you suggest that, mate. I'll let you suggest that. Uh, as always, with these special shows over over our first uh, first anniversary um, week, uh, we've opened it up to the supporters and uh, got some great questions. So we'll get straight on with the ones on Twitter before we take the ones on the chat. So Mark Byers said, um, Warren, I now live in Arkansas, USA, the land of the mullet haircut. My question is, do you ever look back at old footage and cringe at your long blonde curtain? He says, I do, because I had the same haircut in the 90s. Yeah, but he didn't have the same style, did he? I, I, <laughs> I see that on social media, and the word is never, never. I never go back and regret. It was uh, it was a time, and as I said, for, for someone to sing about your hair, it must have been pretty okay. The only downfall is I didn't get a, a TV deal with, uh, you know, Touch of Grey or Head and Shoulders <laughs> like Ginola did. So we're, uh, <laughs> we're still hoping, but there ain't a lot to go, Steve. There's not, there's not a lot left here. <laughs> Ah, brilliant. Okay, Keith Rowell, he says, uh, can you ask Warren what was it like returning to Wimbledon in 2004 and what are your thoughts on AFC Wimbledon returning to Plough Lane? For me, Steve, AFC Wimbledon is Wimbledon. The Wimbledon that I joined and the team that we was at Plough Lane. Uh, so AFC Wimbledon is that team. Uh, when I went to back to uh, Wimbledon at the end, which is turning to be MK Dons, uh, it was more for the people behind the staff and Stuart Murdoch, the coach, um, Good, good memories there. You know, I learnt my trade with Wimbledon with some good people behind the scenes. And Stuart was one of them. Uh, and I spoke to him when I was coming towards the end of my career. I was doing my A licence and getting into my pro licence. And I said, you need any help? You need any help, like support? Um, because he was devastated what was going on and the team moving and people losing jobs and players leaving. And he said, yeah, I could do whatever you can. So I got paid the minimum wage, which was £90 a week. Uh, I was driving backwards and forwards to, to help him out. But I wanted to do it. He, he was a great guy. He's a football person. Uh, so that was the main reason I went back. It wasn't to prolong my career because I was only there a matter of, of months. Uh, but as I said, for me, AFC Wimbledon is, is the real Wimbledon. Um, the only good thing to come out of that scenario, which is not a lot of good things, is two clubs now. You know, you've got MK Dons that are up in Milton Keynes uh, and AFC Wimbledon have gone back home to play our lane. Um, and anyone that's ever been there, and I'm sure... A lot of the Newcastle fans might have travelled down there in the late 80s and 90s. It's uh, it's a unique place, put it that way. Um, and it has good memories for me because that's where it really started for me in the Premier League. OK. Um, Lily says, would you ever consider being on the Newcastle coaching team if given the opportunity? I mean, we seem to be having more, co- more coaches than anybody else uh, these days. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, I, I've made it perfectly clear. You know, when I was retiring or leaving with uh, Sir Bobby Robson was there, he wanted me to, to work on the academy. And I just said to him, it's not the right time. You know, I want to keep playing. I went to Derby uh, for another couple of years with Rob Lee. Um, but yeah, of course, you know, it's, it would be something special. And I spoke to you, Steve, about where I'm living and to leave here uh, to come back home. But Newcastle to me is special. It's a special place. Um, it's something that I've, you know, had great, great memories with, made a lot of good friends there. Uh, not just in the football business, but also in the area. So it, for me, it would be a no-brainer. Um, but obviously, you know, it's not down to me. But there is a lot of staff on that bench. We certainly look like the NFL sometimes. We've got more <laughs> staff than you do in the NFL. But we've we managed to get a couple of results lately, which is, which is great. Um, and it's been by attacking. And we've been banging this drum for, you know, a year. about Let's go and attack teams. Let's go and try and beat teams. So that would be my philosophy if I went to the club, whether it was in the academy and Peter Ramage has gone back, uh, who I knew very well in uh, in the States. He's now with the under-23s. I think more people that know about not just the club, but the culture and the identity of the area 
the better, uh, because it is so new, unique. It's, it's different. You know, people say, well, it's just another club. It, it's not. Uh, and you have to understand that when you go to it. So uh, uh, to answer your question, yes, I would love to. Um, you know, I've done all my qualifications. I did it while I was still at Newcastle and, and finished off my pro licence. So it's there. But as I said, it would have to be something special because I'm, I'm living in arguably one of the nicest places in the world. I yeah. Think. And what's the temperature there at the minute? It's just, it's a little bit chilly, actually. It's like mid-60s, coming up to just touching the 70s. So I've, I've had to put the plants in the shade a little bit because I, <laughs> I don't want to fry at the moment. So I might send it back to you, Steve, as well, a little bit of sunshine. I know I'm just be- looking outside. There's, there's two, two foot of snow, mate. Uh, the, the girls have been having a snowball fight this afternoon. It's, uh, and it's minus six. Yeah, you should go and build a snowman. After we've done this, go out there and go and build a snowman for him in the morning. But yeah, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture. Good man, I love it. Brilliant, mate. Okay, Andre Avramov says, uh, how was your relationship with Steve Watson? He says, for two years between 95 and 97, you were both rotated at right back, uh, and both of you, um, both of them starting against Barcelona, though he said. Well, he moved into centre half, Watto, so he he found his position, <laughs> missed the utility. Watto, I love him to death. He, he, when I first went up there with me and Les, knowing Watto as you do, Steve, he was the first one to come up and say, do you fancy going for a couple of drinks and a bite to eat up there? But Watto, is, he loves a bit of a social, uh, but him, Lee Clark, Robbie Elliott, Steve Howie, great, great people. Because, you know, they was the heart and soul of the club, getting promotion, getting into the Premier League, and they made it easy for myself, Shaka, Les, Dinola, Tino, everybody coming in about the club. With Peter Beersley, obviously. Um, but yeah, what a, we had a good relationship, a healthy relationship. Of course, we were competitive. Me and Aaron Hughes, me and Andy Griffin. But that's what it's been at a, a big club. You have to have that you know, competition for places. You know, When I come, unfortunately, Mark Cottager was there and he, he left. But there's, me and Watto got on well. Uh, we've, had, we've had some good times together on the field and, and also off the field. So, yeah, I've got a lot of time for him. He's not looking after uh, himself. Can I say, Steve, as well? He is not looking after himself at the moment. He needs to get on one of them, them Weight Watchers diet at the moment to, to sort it out a little bit. But he can do it, Watto. He can do it. Of course he can. Oh, of course, of course he can. Uh, Pete Davies says, uh, "What was your best performance in a black and white shirt?" I think it, it's hard for me to say. The one that I most enjoyed was the Barcelona game. You know, obviously uh, my first game when we played against Coventry. For me, I think one of my better performances was in the FA Cup against Crystal Palace when we went down to ten men, um, and I managed to get involved in some of the goals. And, and you know, a certain player sometimes can spark a little bit of a revival, um, and that was it. But looking back, it was the Nottingham Forest game where we won five nil at home, um, and that got us in the Champions League. Uh, by gold, oh, got us in there with points and gold differential, and also Sunderland got relegated and Middlesbrough got relegated in the same. So that has a special feeling for me. But I've said to you before, I loved every minute of it. You know, whether it was uh, starting the 160 odd games or being involved with 220 games off the bench, wh- whatever it was, I enjoyed it. I loved um, the training. So yeah, they're the ones that stick out. Your first game was always a special one, but the Barcelona one, the FA Cup semi-finals were great. Um, I was lucky I've had, I've had a few, but the, the Nottingham Forest one was special. I was involved in quite a few of the goals. I was planning a, a more advanced res, a role as well, which I enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I, I let other people say if I played well or not. But I just, as I said, I enjoyed that game. Barcelona, of course, Tino and Keith Gillespie have got them together uh, on Sunday. So that should be a laugh. Plus an interpreter, which we need, as you know, Warren. <laughs> is, that for, is that for Keith? <laughs> is that yeah, for, for Keith. Keith. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, that I think you, we've said it before. That I think that was people asking me my best performance. I think that was Keith's best performance in a black and white shirt. Tino will get the accolades for the hat trick and, and what he did against Barcelona, but Keith on that night was unplayable. He was sensational. So uh, I think that would be one of the questions for the fans to ask him. But yeah, what a duo them two are, let alone on the field, off the field as well. So there, there we go. You'll have your hands full there, my friend. Yeah, at least I'm not walking around Newcastle with them, which I've done on more than one occasion. Uh, Laura says, are there any chants or songs from your time here that you can still remember now? It was a great one about Les, but I don't think I, can rem- I can't say it about Les and Danny Bear. So <laughs> I can't say that one. That was a, another one. Um, lots of you know good songs. and what we, I tell you what, it was a funny one, Steve. And you, you know me and Rob Lee, what we're like. Is when we used to play away and the fans were saying, we hate Cockneys, we hate Cockneys. Yeah. And, and me and Bob would look at ourselves and say, they talked about me and you. Is it just, we just don't like us two on here. But 
no, all, all good. There was, as I said, funny songs, and that's what I do miss about being back home. Um, is the is the banter, the songs, and the the humour that a group of fans can get together and, and think of a song. Like, you know, they've done one about Mo Salah at Liverpool, and you know the Newcastle fans will come up one about Sunderland and Peter Reid and, and things like that. So there's there's a, a few songs, but obviously I think you know the, it was quite amusing when Les would get the the story about Danny Bear. I can't repeat it because yeah. it's probably young people, but it it was quite amusing because it was it, it was a good it had a good catch to it. Put it that way. Yeah, it definitely did. Uh, Sean Minto says, from any player from 1998 to current day, who do you think would have made the 95-96 or 96-97 team just that little bit better to maybe win us the league? Is there any players that you can think of who would have been you know, able to do that? Speedo. I might have thrown Gary into it. Um, with, with that ability that he had that balance on that left side but I mean then you're asking about Rob Lee and, and David Batty and and obviously Lee Clark um, no I, I think when you look you know you'd throw Allen obviously but then what you're going to do with someone else but they're, they're the two I would think and you know Shay Given uh, as well because I think I've always said for me I know Pav is, is a big fan but Shay just had a little bit more once he grew into his career at Newcastle not at the beginning because he had to work on his kicking uh, but I think at the end of everybody's career, where Pav was, Shaka, and where Shay was, Shay was probably, for me, a, a, a better package in, in the sense. But it, it's hard with the goalkeepers because they was all three outstanding goalkeepers. But I think, you know, if you throw Al into that equation with a, to make us stronger, obviously, and, and Gary Speed would be another one uh, to go into. But other than that, no, I think Bez was outstanding as what well. he. I think Bez was probably our most underrated player that we had because I thought he was phenomenal. Keith was Keith, David was David, but yeah, we 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 had a good team. Um, and PZ or Darren Peacock or Steve or Philip Albert on their day was as good as anything we, we, what we've seen. I could have probably done with a better right back, but we put Watto there. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Taylor says, uh, Hi Warren, was leaving St James's Park after games through different exits a deliberate tactic from the players to avoid signing autographs? He says he remembers Rob Lee would tell us where and when Alan Shearer would be coming out, so that's where the crowds would be waiting for him. Now, we always used to come out, it was by the players' lounge, you know, it was, it was yeah. the first, first door that you'd go through and that's where you had to go. So that's where all the fans was hanging around waiting. But me and Rob, or Rob in particular, would say... Alan would go further down the turnstile because his car would be there with kids and, and Lania and whatever. So we would say, sign a few, me and Rob, and, and be there and say, oh, don't forget, you know, Alan's coming down, you know, 50 yards down there. And there would be a, a charge of like the life brigade running down there. And me and Rob would jump in the car and, and off we'd go. So we'd, we'd do our bit first and foremost. But then we'd say, Look, oh, you know, Les is coming down there or, you know, Tino's walking through there or someone would be going down about 50 yards further along. And they'd all go running down there. So uh, yeah, that was our that was our tactics that we do sometimes. But Rob Rob, Rob was always uh, scheming it up because we'd say, yeah, we go this way and we cover you, and then off you go. But it didn't take Alan too long to suss out what we was doing. Yeah, Mark, uh, asked, just slightly we slightly different way of asking the question. What would you change about that uh, twelve points clear season um, to ensure that we won the title? Is there is there anything that you would you know looking back would you change? Yeah, I wouldn't have got beat against United. I think um, the first half performance when we was was nil nil and Schmeichel was was phenomenal and Leslie hit the post, hit the crossbar and was creating chance after chance. I I think we would have sat back and said, we ain't getting beat now. Get nil nil out of this, whatever happens. But Kevin and he's the way and the club was at the time. Go and prove to them again. That was our half time talk. Go and show them again. Just you know, you beat them now. You just need a goal. You get one. You do what you do the following season when we beat them five nil, um, but we didn't. We got by a sucker punch. So that would be the one thing that I would have definitely come up straight away uh, and changed with that. And, and maybe you know, there's certain games going into it by having that effect that you know not going so cavalier um, at Man City at West Ham, but and Nottingham Forest. That was our way though, Steve. You know that's how we was going to win games. You know Kevin was never going to change a. I said to, you know, we spoke with Peter Beersley and, and, and Les one day after training about February time, just chatting afterwards at Maiden Castle and just said, look, you know, what do we need to do? What do you think the gaffer would do? And he just, Peter just said, he ain't going to change. He's going to win it his way. A little bit like Pep, you know, you win it your way. But unfortunately, 
we come along. But the one thing I would have said is that we don't get beat against them because I believe that was the big turning point. That, you know, cut the differential down. We still had a game in hand. We still had points. But we just couldn't get our mojo back because it was such it was a, such a kick in the guts and we couldn't we couldn't get ourselves back off the floor. We tried, we huffed and puffed, but then they, it, it gave them the momentum and knocked us back a little bit and we had to try and get momentum back. So I think that would be the thing at half time is to make sure that we don't lose this game. I had a message off Peter Beasley today. He watches each show religiously and he just asked us to pass on his very best to you, Warren. Oh, he's the best for me, you know. I know it there was a lot of things that went on towards the end at that, and I don't want to get into that, but for me he was Ultimately, the best player, trainer that I've been around. Gaza would throw into that. But, yeah, he's a gentleman. And he was he was really, really good to me and, and my wife and family when I first come up. And Sandra and the kids, he's a, he's, he's a legend. You know, and I know there has been a little tarnish against him. But for me, he's he's different class. He's, uh, he's Peter. Peter runs like a cheetah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a leg- he's a legend is, to me, and I hope I, I hope I that he gets back into football soon because um, you know that guy's got a hell of a lot to to, to give to football, and um, yeah, he's he watches the show every night, and he asks us to pass on uh, his best man. wishes to you. So that's that's great. Uh, Toon Token says, which current Newcastle player would he most have liked to have played with? Now he asked, he's asked this each time. He says, I know I've asked this to every player, um, but is there a Newcastle player at the moment who you you would like to have played with? I think uh, Miggy Almiron, I like him. I, I think he's a good little player. Um, Sam Max, he, he can run, he can play. Uh, but Wilson, I think, I think he would be possibly the one that would fit into our team better um, than the other two that I mentioned. But yeah, he's, um, he's a good player. It's a shame, obviously, now he's injured. He's a big, big blow, um, you know, Wilson going forward. But yeah, he would be one. The keepers, as we spoke about, have done really, really well. But I, I do like the offensive three that we've got. And I think they can cause teams problems. So uh, that they would be a joy to, to, to be around them three. Um, you know, and as I said, they, they could do well. The keepers are good, but I was lucky enough to be with some top class keepers. But them, them three up front would be fun. I'm sure Mr. Gucci would be a bit of a laugh to be around as well. So we could probably get him going a bit. Yeah, Mark says, what was the true situation with Marcelino? He says, there were lots of rumours about silly injuries, faking injuries. He says, were these true or was he just a terrible player? And it's interesting because I was talking to Mick Lowe's a couple of weeks ago uh, on the show and um, I'd, I'd mentioned Marcelino and, he, and he, he defended him. He actually. So what's your take on Marcelino? Well, one, he was a good player. There's no doubt about that. You know, when he played in the uh, UEFA against Villa, I think it was, or Fulham, one of the games, and he, he was played really, really well. Um I'll tell you a quick story and it'd be nice for him to say it as well because I didn't really get to know him that well which is a surprise when he was there for three years or two and a half years but he was quite a loner uh, as well you know he said that he had a chance to go to Real Madrid and, and other clubs but he came for the money at Newcastle so that always leaves a bit of a taste in your mouth I know it is about money and about looking after your family but it wasn't about the club and whatever so that was the first thing that, that got my back up slightly slightly and then you know, I felt for Paul Ferris and particularly Derek Wright because it was, you know, up one side of the body, down the other side of the body, different injuries, fingers, toes, knees, whatever. But he was a he was a good player. He was a good player and he showed one or two glimpses that he could do it. But he's, his heart and soul went into it. And you have to do that at Newcastle. You have to give everything. And, um, you know, I, I see the picture, what was nice with him and Clarence and, and, and the boys in, in South America having a bit of time together. Um but it was a shame because he's a wasted talent. He was a good player. We spent a fair bit of money on him. Um, but he'd never, I think he found the expectation and the pressure a bit, a bit too much for him because, you know, Steve, as well, he was really quite an introvert person. Um, and he didn't really come out of his shell. We, we did try. And even your guest, Nobby, will say, you know, we, we're getting him involved and the language and everything else. But, you know, it was, I just felt for the physios because they, they couldn't really do anything. He just kept saying he was injured. And uh, it was a shame because it's a waste. It was a waste, but um, because he, he was a good player, he could play. Um, and at that time, he could have maybe cemented himself in, the, in, the, in a team that needed a dominant defender because, you know, we'd had Steve Howie that would be there and he was looking to go to Man City. Darren Peacock, obviously. Philip was carrying an injury as well. So, you know, he, he came in with, with high expectations, but it didn't really materialise um, that we would have hoped. Yeah, OK. Chris Taylor says, would you pick Nobby Solano or Keith Gillespie in front of you and why? I, both of them 
was good players for me. What suited me was Nobby because Nobby would cut inside. And the, for me, it was easier to play with Keith because, like I did against Barcelona, we'd just put it down the side and let him chase it and cross it. I could never catch him. If I give it to him, I was never going to catch it. I had more of a rapport with Nobby because Nobby was a different forward. He would come inside a little bit like Foxy was, Wolf Fox. And I had a good relationship with Foxy when he was there just for the few few months uh, that we overlapped. But Nobby would come in and play little one-twos and, you know, I would make overlap, over, overlap. And, you know, the fifth time he might pass me in and I could I could cross the ball. So I had a, a, probably a better understanding with, with Noberto than I did with Keith. But Keith was more simple, was simple, give it to him and, and he's going to go. Um, and, and that was more of a, an effective way that we had, particularly in the opening months of, of when we started in the 95-96 season. So, um, yeah, but both of them, you know, w- was great to play with because they would both work, they'd come back, but there was more the offensive-minded and um, had a better understanding with, with Nobby um, in the sense that I would, could make them over like runs. I could never catch Keith. He was too quick. OK, Mark says, uh, Hi, Warren. Why do you believe you didn't get more England caps? I don't really know. You know, it's obviously Gary Neville and, and um, David Beckham had a great relationship on and off the field. And, and Gary was, you know, a phenomenal player and, and done very, very well. You know, at the time you had Lee Dixon, you had Rob Jones that was looking to get in there. Gary had broken in there. Paul Parker was still at the end of his career uh, playing for England. Uh, other players like Richard Edgehill was coming through. Uh, Glenn Johnson, them type of players. So there was abundant of, of, of players Um but I think, you know, my performances, particularly when Sir Bobby come over, Glenn pulled me into the squad and KK, but I never really got uh, the, the chance. And you know, I think Gary, uh, arguably one of the best fullbacks that's ever played for the country. So if you're going to lose your spot, um, maybe that was it, you know. And uh, But I, I never give up. I'm still not retired. So if they're looking for someone, I can slide in there if, if it ain't happening. But, um, you know, I've still got them on my wall. So, that, you know, the ones that I've got, they can't take away. But it... It was just someone's opinion, you know, at the end of the day. And, you know, it was a bit surprising when KK got the job um, that he never, you know, pulled me in a little bit more. But, you know, as I said, you had Glenn Johnson, you had other players coming through. So, you know, it's just a, someone's opinion. Last one on Twitter. Malcolm Quinn says, looking at the squad we have now, what formation would you go with and who would you play? Oh, I, I would always go 4-3-3 four, four, uh, four, three, three at the moment with what I've got, with John Joe Shelby. I know... He lacks a little bit on the other side, but he can pass. Uh, I think there would be... I'd have to have a good good look at them. The three up front, I think, speak for themselves, as I mentioned earlier. Wilson down the middle, left and right. Um, I like Miggy, though, when I've seen him play behind the behind the forward. So that may be something that... I, but I wouldn't be stuck in saying, right, this is how we're going to play, because I, I definitely wouldn't play five at the back. I might even go sometimes a four, four, one, four, uh, one up front. Uh, but looking what we've got, probably four, three, three... Suits me. I like the young boy from Arsenal. He gives us energy, and I think that's what we, we, we lacked a little bit in midfield. He's got a little bit of a spark to go forward, a little bit of an attitude, which I think. But yeah, Steve, I mean, you know, there, there's some talented players there, and I said that to you before. It's not the fact that, and I, I, I think it's disrespectful when people say, well, I haven't got the players, we can't play the system. I think you can get the best out of players. Look what Brendan Rodgers does, you know, yeah. with his team. Uh, but they play on the front foot. They play a certain way. I know with Vardy and they miss him. But I think we've got a, a squad of players that, like a Southampton, a West Ham, that we could be, you know, challenging where they are. And it's proven in the last couple of games when we have had a go at teams, we're not bad. We can play. Um, so you know, you get a couple of more results, a bit more confidence. But yeah, looking a four-three-three would be my way because uh, I don't think we've got any real genuine wide players that would, you know, can cause too many problems in, in that respect. You, you've got players that can do a job, um, but are not enough that could. You know, you could set a formation around at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, on to the uh, questions in the chat. Tom Dixon says, Warren, how did you do when you went from playing coaching for Dagenham and Redbridge in 2005 to being Elliot Galaxy under 18 coach in 2008? Yeah, no, I, I went full circle. You know, I, I told you when I went back to Wimbledon at the end and then uh, my good friend John Steele, who was at uh, Dagenham and Redbridge and Maystone when I first started in the late 80s. Uh, he'd gone back there and I was finishing my pro licence. So I had that opportunity there. But always in my mind, Steve, I'd love being in America. I'd love the, the lifestyle, the positivity, um, you know, how the country is and, you know, the, the climate, obviously. And I had the chance to come over in 08. Um, and then straight away when I got come over, a guy called uh, Trevor James, who's actually coaching in Detroit at the moment. And he, he played actually for Sir Bobby. 
he was at LA Galaxy at the time, uh, and our friend Rude was there, funny enough, but then he lasted about six weeks and got the sack, so there's, there's no surprise there. Um, <laughs> but Trevor phoned me up and said, would I be interested in getting into it? And it was great for me to learn the, the American culture, the understanding of American players, the college system that they have, the academy system that they're trying to implement over here, uh, the ideas, the as I said, the culture, the understanding of, of how to train, when they train, what tournaments they go in. So... That's how it materialised. You know, I got as soon as I got over here, I, I reached out to some people in the in the business in the MLS, and Trevor come back and said, "Would you like to be involved?" And it was it was brilliant for me um, to have that idea. Uh, but then, you know, I got the media job in Fox, and and that sort of took off, and was doing the Premier League, World Cups, you know, Bundesliga, um, you know, whatever we're doing, it, it's been great to be involved watching games. So I was doing that for a number of years as well. But I do miss that. But what? That opportunity did with TV allowed me to coach my kids um, through their you know, middle school and junior school. So it was uh, it was an opportunity for me to do that with them. Okay, uh, Tomlin says, Warren, do you think the MLS would ever expand into a second division with promotion and relegation, or would Americans just not accept that concept? It's on the horizon, my friend. I don't think it's in in this decade, um, but it's definitely there with a league called the USL, uh, which is like the equivalent to the Championship. Uh, the problem you have is the people that have invested so much money in MLS like Austin at the moment, you know, to buy a franchise is $135 million just to buy the franchise. Then you have to buy a stadium. That's another $100 million. Then you have to guarantee to pay the wages for the three years. That's another 100 So you're talking about like half a billion dollars to get started. So what they don't want to do is say, well, you know, if that happens, if we get relegated, where do we go? They're not in a position at the moment, the MLS, with the TV deal and sponsorship deals to, to create that much revenue in the sense that if you do go down, we can give you parachute, not like we have in, in the UK. So there's still a little bit away, but it is being spoken about. It is out there, but it's not in the, the other major sports that they have, like NFL, you know, they don't have that. Baseball, they don't have it. So it's a little bit of a learning curve. But a lot of the owners are saying, well, if I'm investing half a billion dollars, I don't want to be relegated in two years. I don't really understand why that would happen. But it is out there. It's, it's a conversation that's been going on for for, for a few years now, uh, but the USL League is that type of league where they've got USL Championship, USL 1, USL 2. Um, so they've already started a pyramid, but you can't get promotion and relegation. It's about if you've got more money, then you can move up. You've got more money, you go up another tier. So that's how they're, they're, they're looking to do that. But it's, it's definitely out there. Good stuff. Darren says, uh, Warren, you were part of the crazy gang at Wimbledon. What was it like playing for them and with Vinnie Jones? It was... Uh, it was amusing to say the least. It, what it did, it, it made me turn into a young, naive boy into what well, I think a, a Premier League man because th there was no holding back. You know, even when I walked in there at 18 years of age, you know, a bit wet around the ears and, and going in there, Vinny made it perfectly clear we played Everton. And um, there was a bit of a, an unusual bit, a bit of a scuffle in midfield with Vinny and a few of the boys. So I've gone running over there to sort of be peacemaker, break it up. Well, Fashion's then, John Fashion bashed me with my arm pushed me in there, went in there, half-time, you know, uh, Ray Hartford was going to have a conversation. Fascists grabbed me by the wall and said, don't ever do that again. It's always us against them. And that sort of stuck with me, you know, and I'd come through non-league um, with that sort of mentality and being with them, you know, getting selected for England and, you know, going into your car in the car park, Steve, and your tyres are being slashed. And you're thinking, oh, Vinny, why have you done that? Or, or John or Dean Holsworth or Robbie Earl, someone's... And finding out it was actually the owner of the football club that did it. So, you know, that's that's how the all that togetherness and don't get carried away and we all stick as one was part of it. And, um, yeah, great stories. I mean, we still have a WhatsApp now with people like Chris Perry and Robbie and Scalzi and Dean Howard. There's still Jason Neal. There's probably about 25 players that are still on there keeping, keeping contact. And actually one of the secretaries, David Barnard, who's with Chelsea on their executive board, and he's still involved with us. So I think that shows you a little bit what, that club was was like and then we took that into Newcastle a little bit and that's my mentality and you know Steve when we go out we'd all go out together and when we yeah we did things we'd make sure if we had a presentation that there'd be seven or eight of us it's not just one person all the time doing it so that togetherness and sticking together was a big part of it good stuff Jeff says what was your best goal at St James's Park for any team beating Spurs I think 1-0 I think that that was that was one uh, with big three points for us. It wasn't a spectacular goal by a, a long means, but uh, it, it was a decent goal. Um, there's been one or two that show from my days at Wimbledon at Ellen Road and one at Anfield. You know, for me at that moment, 
was the equaliser against Anfield when I kicked the mic because we were so bad in the first half and we managed somehow to drag ourselves back to a 3-3 in a dying second only to be then Robbie Fowler goes down the end and, and scores against us. So from that point of view, it was, uh, it, it was a bit of a kick in the teeth. But just for that 90 seconds of scoring a goal uh, and the euphoria they has, uh, the Spurs goal um, and obviously the, the one at Anfield was 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 one of them special moments as well. Not classics yeah. by a long mean, but they 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 still go in the back of the net. Like Alan always said to me, it just says sheer a goal. It doesn't say how you scored it. So you know whether it's his forty-five yard volley or his one off of his knee and elbow, and it goes in. It doesn't really matter. Of course, it doesn't. Joe Walker says, "Care, what was it like when you first heard Newcastle were after you?" Yeah, it was exciting. It was it was you know there'd been a lot of speculation with Celtic, Man City, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, I'd actually spoken to David Dean at Arsenal, um, but knowing that KK was there, um, speaking to people like Peter Beersley and uh, Barry Venison as well, it was great with me with the England setup. You know, telling me about the club, and then I played up there for Wimbledon against Newcastle, and I think I've told you this story that uh, the, doing a call down afterwards, and you know. Going in, chatting to Arthur Cox and saying, imagine playing in front of this lot, you know, 30,000 people at the time, 36,000 people at the time. It would be great. So, you know, it was very exciting. And then, you know, as I said, when you go and meet Kevin uh, and what he was trying to do and, and how he wanted it to be done, it was it was a no-brainer. Again, it was like done within about 20 minutes. And, uh, you know, there was, the, there was the journey starting then. But, uh, you know, as I said, there was speculation. But as soon as they come in, it was, I remember playing there, speaking to people, you know, Barry, as I said, and Peter, saying what the club was going to be like. And then you go and meet Kevin. Um, you know, it was it was quite an easy decision, to say the least. Andy Gibson's asking if you remember the game when Vinnie Jones had to go and goal. Um... <laughs> he, he keeps saying how well he played, Vinnie. We, we beat him in 6-1. So he kind of played that well. You know, he, he made some decent saves being Vinnie and the, he, the character that he is. And he's a great person, you know. If you ever, what he is like is, you know, he is off the field. I don't know in your acting career, Steve, you've ever come across him. Yeah, I met him a couple of times. People that you know, he's a lovely, lovely fella. Um, and for him to go and go and do that, but we, as I said, I keep reminding him, I said, you did concede, we did get beat 6 once. He can't be that bloody good. But Vinny being <laughs> Vinny, the character that he's got, um, you know, it's, again, it's come up a few times on the social media scene and, and things like that. But yeah, it was, a, it was quite amusing. What was he like in training, asks Dunnell. He was great. He, you know, OK, yeah, was he a, a Peter Beersley or David Ginola? No, he didn't have that. But to be fair to Vinny, he was out there every week. He made the best of what he had. He always trained. He's hard work. And he had people like Mick Hartford, who he used to travel around the M25 with. And Mick was brilliant. You know, people would know him in the northeast. He was one of the first, uh, Mick Hartford, uh, when we would finish training early on at Wimbledon, people asked me about that to say, where are you going? You've got to do some extra. Mick was one of the first to make me think about, you know, learning your trade and doing a bit more rather than just turning up and going home um, and, and working on your trade. But, yeah, he was great to be around. You know, as I said, in the players' lounge, he was fun. He was bubbly. Um, he was great around people. You know, don't, don't forget, you know, a lot of people knew who he was and wanted to have a go at him. But, yeah, he, he could look after himself as well. There was a bit of an instance between him and, uh, him and a couple of people in Norway and he, he, he looked after himself over there, put it that way. <laughs> Moza <laughs> um, says it's lovely to see Warren again last time was in Durham training ground when Kevin Keegan gave him 20 sit-ups I love those days he says I ain't got a six pack I got, that, that's gone, <laughs> that's gone but yeah, that was great times great times Life Goal says Warren it felt like your Newcastle career really took off under Hullet what did you make of him and were you and Speed the only senior players who benefited from him well, I'd like to think the first couple of years we did okay uh, but went under the radar but yeah I think with Rude um I think he relied a little bit on his senior players. And as much as, you know, I didn't like what he did to Alan and certain players and Rob Lee and Nikos and, and, and obviously Stuart Pearce that are good friends of mine, um, he, he was still the manager at the time. And yeah, I think I took on that respons responsibility because he needed it because he didn't, he, he had players like Didier Domi was a good player, but really quiet, you know, and he brought certain players in. Marcelino, like I've said, was just quiet, you know, didn't really... And me and Gary and, and Steve Howie, to an extent, you know, was was out there and, as I said, trying to do the best we can. Shay as well, but you know, it was. Um, I don't think we were the only ones that benefited, but yeah, he was. Um, he was different to say the least. I think you always learn good and bad from people. 
Um, and there was one or two things with Rude that he, I mean, he, the game, he, he knew it off the, off the charts, the way he was with the Dutch mentality and people like Johan Cruyff and that philosophy and that idea. But it was just the man management and not knowing the area and calling it like a regional game and, and that type of thing against Sunderland. But yeah, performance-wise, he played me. Uh, but he also dropped me in, in the cup final, which uh, he didn't have the balls to come and tell me. He sent Steve Clark over and I said to him, don't you do it, let him do it. And uh, he still he still didn't do it, so that that, that was it. Trian Sun says, "Does Warren think that there was a travesty when Yusef Chippo didn't get a Best Actor Oscar at uh, Highfield Road after Warren chinned him? Said he went down like he'd been sparked by Nigel Benton." It was one of them little uppercuts. There wasn't a, mate. He spat at me. So what am I supposed to do? It was disgusting. I've never been spat on in my life, and there was a little indication. And I said to Bobby, and Bobby went, "I don't even care what you shouldn't do that." I said, "I know, but he shouldn't spit at me." So yeah. anyway, but I didn't catch him properly. That's why I went for the second one because the ref, the ref went to me. The first one I was going to let you go. It's when you took the other swing again with your left one, trying to get, get him as he went down. I said I can't, I can't do that. So you know, uh, I apologise. Brian H. I think he speaks for most Newcastle fans when he says thanks for fighting our corner on Talksport. It was a very emotional uh, outburst by Warren. Nobody was surprised. To be fair, um, it was just nice to have somebody getting on and actually having a chance to say something. I, I do tend to get invited on. Uh, Talk sport by Jim White, and I tend to do the same, but it was great to hear, hear an ex-player do it. Yeah, and Steve, I want to say as well, you know, it, it was come from the heart and it come from frustration. You know, whatever we think about Steve Bruce, and I wanted to say this at the beginning about his tactics and how he is, he shouldn't have to put up with what he's had to, the, the, the death threats. For me, that's over the line. Okay, it's a disgrace. If you want to abuse him about his tactics and, and what he's done, I get that because I'm frustrated and I'm thousands of miles away and I want the team to do well and, you know, I don't like the excuses and, and all the other stuff. I understand that, but he shouldn't have to get them type of things. It's, it's outrageous, as, as you rightly said. But it, it comes from the heart and it comes from, and I've been saying it for weeks, you know, you see me on social media and, you know, it's not the right way sometimes to do it, but it is the way that we live now. It's the way that we are living and, you know, people old school say, well, if you've got something to say, you should say it to his And I thought, well, here's my chance to say how I feel. Um, we've done interviews before over the, you know, a year, six months, whatever it is. And it's always the same thing. You know, it, this club means a lot to me. It's a, it, it give me so much and I want to give something back. And the people in the area give me so much. So from that point of view, it was just something that needed to be said. All these pundits turning around saying he's doing a great job but expects us to get beat by Sheffield United I mean how's he doing a good job then if you expect to get beat by Sheffield United that haven't won a game so now let's be honest that's what I always did with my you know that when you go on TV that's what your your opinion is is to have an opinion but have an honest opinion but if someone's not doing well it has to be said and Steve even come out you know after the, I'm right to accept that because it was so poor enough was enough and we've seen a reaction you know not necessarily the right reaction all the time but we have seen some sort of reaction and that's all we want we don't want you Steve as me we don't want to be sitting there on a Sunday night or a Saturday night after a game thinking oh my god I wish I'd have a guy we don't want to do that we want him to do well if he goes and wins something for us I don't think he will do but if he did I'd be the first one to shake his hand he might mm -hmm. punch me on the nose but I would do that because that's how I want the club to be I'm not holding a grudge against Steve or Rafa Benitez or you know Alan Pardew, I can, you know, as long as they're doing the, the best for the club. But I didn't think we was getting the best service. I didn't see, think that he was putting his heart and soul into it. So that's why it come out. And that's why it's coming out now, because that's how I feel about the club. Yeah, great stuff, though. All the same. Dave Harrison says, uh, hi, Warren, Steve. How do you think the players will react when fans are allowed back into grounds? I mean, it's, yeah, I mean... <laughs> When that happens, who you know, who knows? But um, it, it could be a bit of a culture shock. We've seen we've seen some strange old results without fans, but when fans come back in, we might have a, a bit of nervousness from some people. Yeah, I, I think that is that's right. Where they've gone through this dip, and particularly you know, as at home, and I think it proved in the Premier League, there's been more away wins than home wins for for the team. So I think that shows you that there's no there's no balance now with being at home. Um, some of the players have got away with some of the performance earlier on, particularly when we didn't win a game for 11, uh, have just gone on the radar. Like you said, they've got in their car, got on, drove home, and they've not had to face what we had to face, you know, after a game. You know, fans outside waiting for you, whether it's to sign an autograph or to tell you you, was, <laughs> you didn't play well today. You know, that's, they, they haven't had to go through that. Um, so it's maybe given them a little bit of a breathing space, but I still think it's, it, we need players, we need fans in there, and the players will react with that, and, and hopefully we'll have a, a tremendous atmosphere. 
Dave Cook says uh, you've done really well for yourself uh, since moving to the USA. Can you see yourself living there permanently? You never say never, my friend. But it, uh, like I said at the very, very beginning, it's I've been very lucky. You know, me and my wife and three boys come out here in, in 08. And, you know, it's been great for us out here, you know, being here, the weather, the climate, everything else, but also the people. Um, you know, I miss my family, obviously, my mum, particularly at these times, you know, not being able to get back and see anybody and my brother and sister and my wife's family as well. And just friends in general. You know, when I've come back, I've seen you up in the northeast and we're going to grab a, a bite to eat and a beer and have a chat about old days and, and, and things like that. So you never say never, but you just said, what do you say? It's two feet of snow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's I'm, not yet. <laughs> I've got two feet of sand about 500 yards away. So no, I'd rather stay here with the sand. God, <laughs> oh, no. I, I knew you would wind us up with that. James Douglas says, "What did Warren first think when the training uh, sessions were held at Durham and the fans were included?" Uh, don't forget, I'd been at Wimbledon, so we played at uh, an area down there which had a graveyard at the end of the end of the training pit. So that wasn't too much of a shock. But what was a shock for us, and I remember leaving the Gosford Park Hotel with the, the lads in the car, and you know, being four five thousand people. Um, you know, being at the training ground and walking through and, you know, having to say to Kevin as we were rushing in, sorry, Gaffer, but there was people that he said, no, no, you'll have to leave 30, 40 minutes earlier to get in and to go and see him. But, yeah, it was magnificent. And just the whole time of the, you know, the granddad collar, the training atmosphere, the people, the city, the style of football, it, it, it was brilliant. And Maiden Castle suited us at that time. I think if we'd had this, like, million pounds, 100 million pounds stadium and architect, that wasn't what we was about. You know, we wasn't that high end. That we was about about the club, about the players going out. People like David wanted a bit more comfort than than maybe what we got in in Maiden Castle. With, you know, getting into a dirty bath that one of the students had just probably peed in and got out. So, you know, that's some of the things we had to put up with. But it was just great of all of us. It put us in together. There was no, you know, there's no superstars in that respect. Uh, Andreas says my favourite Warren Barton goal was against Arsenal in 1998 they hadn't oh, yeah. conceded a goal for ages and Warren scored we still lost 3-1 though yeah great story with that it, well, that actually it was a pretty decent one and, but Terry Mack being Terry Mack McDermott went over to Arsene Wenger and said because they obviously they'd broken their record he went here stick up you know, get hold of that take that one and Arsene Wenger went we we won the game. We won the game. But Terry Terry had had a go at him and just said, "Oh look, there's your record. Take that. Put that in your pipe and smoke it." And Arsene Wenger went, "We've just won the game three 0 or three one. So it doesn't really matter." But yeah, it was a decent strike. Um, old David Seaman couldn't get close to it, so it's a bit of a anti climax. But it, at least at least it broke their record. Tim Cairn says, "Warren, after your knowledge on German leagues, can you see what the club saw in Joe Linton?" Not in his position that he's played. He's not a number nine. I've said this from day one. When he played for Hoffenheim, he played where he's been successful, near a number nine, in and around that position. He's not that player. He's, I mean, uh, you, you feel for him a little bit because the price tag he can't do anything about. And then he's thrown into play, where Then he's thrown into out of position playing as a forward. And then by adding insult to injury, you give him a number nine shirt. Now, I mean, what chance has he got of, of playing there? So... You know, anyone that's bought him would have thought, no, he's better just... He's not a 10, but he plays in and around. He's like a higher eight, so he can play in that position. Um, and as I said, when he's had our better performances, he's played better with Wilson, so he's close to someone. He can't He can't do it by himself. He can't hold it. And he never did it at Hoffenheim. Um, so I do feel for him, but also, like I did, like I had to go through, you have to fight your way through it. And no one's going to... Well, they shouldn't feel sorry for you. You should have to get on with it and do better when you get that chance. Uh, but there has been examples where he's been thrown a little bit out to the walls and not really been given a leg to stand on, really. Yeah. James Douglas says, has anyone in America asked you about your opinion uh, for buying Newcastle? Any approaches? Yeah, there's been, you know, you, the other day I was walking along uh, down by, as I said, by the beach along and some, there was a Geordie there. said, hey, hey, when are you going to buy the club? When are you and your mate Rob Lee going to buy it? And I said, well, he wouldn't even buy me a drink, let alone buy Newcastle. <laughs> so we're never going to buy that. But yeah, you get you get the odd comments, but no, we ain't got that type of money. That's why we need Alan. We'd have to get hold of Alan and, and help us out. But we just, In- we just love to be involved, Steve. I would just, you know, when I first come here, I spoke to Dennis Wise about being a, a scout over here, identifying young players. And I, I told you the story. They said, oh, we've got some fellow in Texas. He's going to do it. 
I don't even know who it was or whatever. So nothing ever materialised there. So, you know, all we ever want, the ones that you know, is the best for the club. We just want, you know, to see them do well now, whether it's with Steve or whoever it's with, they just want the best. Mike Gents, I uh, want to change the uh, the topic slightly. He says, what's your views on the Burnley takeover? Yeah, they seem to get a takeover done quite quickly. We can't, we've been going on <laughs> about six, six years. We can't get a takeover. Um, is it... It's a, another again. And when I played at Burnley for Derby at the, towards the end of my career, me and Rob was there. And anyone that's ever been to Burnley and we bit that stadium, it's in you know it goes in a dip. It's cold. The mountains. It's grey. And me and Rob Lee looked at each other doing a warm up. It was a Tuesday night. It was pouring down with rain, and we went, "It ain't supposed to end like this. It wasn't supposed to." And now where you see what he's done, Sean, and bought the club and how they are and their players to attract you know an investor to come in. And now they're going to be doing like the women's game as well, which is great. They've got a, a team coming along. Uh, I think it just shows you the the vast array of people that are interested in the Premier League. It's not just about the top six or about sleeping giants like Newcastle and Man City. It's about a team like Burnley, which is working man, getting people in. It, it's it's trying to take them to that next level, and it's a it's a unique membership to be part of of that Premier League uh, members club. Uh, and it's good for Burnley. You know, good luck to them. They're a, they're a good football club, a proper football club. And, you know, Sean's done a, a good job over there. They know the limitations. They're not trying to be anything they're not. Um, and that's why they're, they're being competitive. I mean, they've got a bit of a fight this season, but I'm sure they've got enough to get out of it. Uh, James Douglas says, how was Kenny Daglish compared to Kevin Keegan? Chalk and cheese on the kind of manager. Yeah, different. yeah, yeah. I mean, both really good with players. Um, Kenny, to his detriment, was maybe a little bit too protective of us, you know, when he'd go out to the media. You know, KK was wore his heart on his sleeve of we've, we've seen at Ellen Road, but Kenny would always protect his players in the media. Um, sometimes, and I've said this to Kenny, he probably needed to say, we was crap today, you know. So Bobby Robson did it when we played Charlton. You know, he come out publicly a Sunday night game and said, we was awful. These players were, you know, terrible. They should you know, be ashamed of what they... You need to be told the truth. Uh, but Kenny would never do that. Um, he did char- change our style in the sense that we would be more difficult to beat. And by doing that, we'd go to Highbury and win 1-0 and, and, and end up being in the Champions League. We got to an FA Cup final uh, with, with him as well. Um, but just his personality was totally different to what the North East had been used to, what Newcastle had been used to, like an open book. Take me, you know, he Kenny wanted to have you know limited time with the press being there. Fans not maybe there on a Friday at training. There were certain things like that that, you know, he wanted to do. And, it, you know, it, it sort of backfired a little bit because the fans wanted to be there and they, they'd expected to be there. And it's that's where the club, and like I've always said to you, is different to any other club. And you have to take that on board. Yeah. Uh, Chip, I just wants to know what Duncan Ferguson was like in training. Was he a nutter? He never trained. He was always injured. <laughs> 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 he was in the treatment room. He never come out until Fridays. Uh, I've got the boy on tomorrow, mind. He he reply. He'd probably yeah. get a right to reply to that. Is, is he wearing his glasses? He's being intellectual now. Is he wearing his glasses? To show he's him? always running, mate, and walking now. I know. I, hey, that's one thing. His mental health. He's got to keep going with that. I, I do. I do like what he's doing, and it's a big thing. Well. Gets, it gets overlooked, but um, you know, Dunk. Dunk with a, a big time player when the games come up he, he played you know and unfortunately for us he, he had a few injuries when he was there the semi-final against Chelsea changed the the aspect of the game as well but uh, he wasn't a great trainer put it that way uh, and he wouldn't get get involved um, there was a quick quick story that Big Duncan and Rude had left after the Sunderland debacle and um, Dunk was upset obviously he was waiting at the training ground at six o'clock in the morning, him and Alan to see Rude, but Rude had already got on a plane and, and left. So poor old Steve Clark was there putting a session on. And um, he turned around to Clarkie and said to you know, Dunk, you know, last week you cost us a goal by doing that. And Big Dunk went, is that fucking right? Threw the ball up near and volleyed it straight at him from about 30 yards with his left foot. Hit Steve Clark right in the midriff. And Clarkie went, oh, that's charming. That's, you know, what am I supposed to do now? But that was Duncan. He was like, he just threw it out in a sweet left foot because he hit him from about 35 yards with this volley and hit Steve Clark right in the stomach and, and said to him, don't ever go at me. So I think Steve Clark learned his lesson there, um, trying to pick on someone like Big Dunk because that ain't, that ain't never going to happen. Definitely. Yeah. Ben Willett says, if you could transport the 95-96 team into today's Premier League, where do you think you would finish? Top. Yeah. <laughs> Top. 
you want to have someone like United behind us. So, yeah, Liverpool have gone off the rails. Man City would beat them. So, yeah, we'd be top. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ada says, uh, do you ever hear from Ginola? Yes, David, I, 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 a good, good friend. Uh, in a sense where I don't need to see David every day, uh, but we keep in contact. Um, at the time when he was with his family, I don't think he's with them, he's with his wife anymore, but it, it was great when we was there. Um, you know, talk about someone that adapted well. You know, Philip Albert for me and Pavel Cernicek are the two foreign players that really adapted well to, to Newcastle. David, in his own stylish way, did it because he didn't want to be, you know, this this guy that had a beer, went in the court, but he loved it. You know, we would go out and, you know, he'd be there and he'd be having a glass of wine or talking about this vintage. Then about two hours later, you'd see him there, he'd be in the corner having a Budweiser, having a laugh and a joke. You think, but he loved it. He loved that being with the people, understanding and being with the club. And I mean, what a player as well. But uh, yeah, I still keep in contact with him. Um, he still looks he still looks bloody good looking, doesn't he? Even now when he's got that gunner. <laughs> okay, now. Is there any chance of anyone? I mean, another good story as well. If you ever get Bez on, tell him the story about when he called him Big Nose. Because that was, that was hilarious. Because no one ever spoke to David like that before. Bez called him Big Nose. I'll have to, I'll have to ask him. Yeah, Bez has been uh, Bez has done one. It was uh, it was quite a, quite a show when we had Bez on. Actually, we'll have to try and get him back on at some point. But he came on and he uh, he actually dug out one of his old shirts and wore it for the actual for the show. Which was it's never uh, a dull moment with Bez. Can I just tell you, it's never a dull moment. It was covered in it was still covered in blood. I think it was the Man United game. I think that he'd had it from anyway. But uh, yeah, we might get him back on. MS says, given the formation and style of football we are now playing since the last three games, if we could get the takeover, who would be a choice of manager? Now, way back when we we did a couple together uh, right at the start of the lockdown period. Of course, Pochettino was was vacant, and uh, you know, who would you, who would you see coming in now if the takeover did go through? That's a great question uh, as well. I've, you know, I reminisce about someone like a Steven Gerrard. I, I think where he's doing at Glasgow Rangers, I think if you went to someone like him and say, you know, he's, he's managed a big club. They are a big club. Whatever people think about that league, Rangers, and I'm good friends with Richard Goff, who is a Rangers legend, uh, not too far away from me here. What he's done with that club, with some money, not a lot of money, but with limited, is, is, is quite mind-blowing because he's grabbed the club by the scruff of the neck and give them ambition. He's given drive. He's given focus. And that's what our club needs. And I think S- Stephen would be someone that would be ideal. I know Rafa has been out there and he's looking. Unemployed now. Yeah, I, I know, Steve. But the only thing is, Steve, you look at when KK come back, it's always difficult to go back and, and try and emulate. I know coaches do it, uh, particularly foreign coaches do it quite a bit. Um but with the takeover and the money that you, you, you're talking about, then obviously Rafa's got the pedigree to take us onto the, the promised land. But I look at someone like Stephen long term, you know, I'm yeah. talking 10 years to, to be at the club. Look at what KK did when he first came in, in the early 90s and, and go forward with that. Um, he would be up there uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, I just would like someone that would go. Eddie Howard is, is a good coach, but I'm not sure with the personality that he's got. I like Negglesman, the Leipzig coach. Um, he would be one that, uh, in the Bundesliga that I've spoken about, Julian Negglesman, he would be one that I would try and go after as well. Because I think with money, with the philosophy, with the young players, um, you know, when I think of Newcastle, I think of ambition, I think of personality, I think of vibrant. That's what I yeah. want my team to mirror. Um, and I think both of them would give it to us. Uh, John Poole says, uh, can you remember John Gale from your time at Wimbledon? He says he was a top bloke. He worked with him in Bristol a few years back. No, John Gale was, was brilliant. I mean, he was uh, a big player, come from non-league. I think he was a bouncer when he first started. Um, he come in and big John was, was, was fantastic and uh, he could look after himself. He was only a little bit of time there, but yeah, a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, fantastic guy. Graham Jones has come in. What did you What did he make of his arrival? Um, you know, I mean, obviously you're watching it from afar, but it get, the impression we all got was that um, you know Steve Bruce didn't really know too much about it. But there seems to be a, there seems to have been a little bit of change in direction and a bit of a bounce warrant. Steve, when I when when he come in and had the interview, you know, when we were saying about coaching needs someone going. We looked at everybody's looking at the sideline for direction. You look at Klopp, you look at Pep. They're involved in the game. Yeah, they're, they're, they're emotionally involved in the game. We're not getting that. We're, we haven't seen that in six months. So when Jones comes in, what I didn't particularly like is when he first came in and did the interview, and I watched it on Newcastle TV, 
he said about, you know, when we haven't got players, we might have to play a certain way. When the players can't do this. Now, if I'm a player, I've, I've had that for a year. We can't do this. We can't play a certain way. I don't want another coach telling me what I can't do. I want a coach to tell me what I can do. There's no doubt about his pedigree with uh, Roberto Martinez and Wigan. And I know he didn't have the best of times at Luton. But he's, he's, for me, he's gone in there and done what anyone would do. Is, is give them information. Give your players information. Give them some life. Give them some direction. And these players will go. That's what this club... And going back to what I've said, this club needed to be leaded. It needed a leader. It needed someone to lead a group of men going forward. Now, Jones has come in and just give these players a bit of ident identification and a bit of knowledge and a bit of guidance. And they've took it on board. And won games, gone to Everton, was outstanding. One at home, Southampton, the first... 30, 40 minutes was some of the best. We said, I know Southampton are like half beaten up and you know they haven't got their best team, but you're still beating the opposition that's in front of you. So he's come in and then what was a little bit, which, which I noticed him, where there was a water break at Goodison and he's out there, Jones, giving out directions, pointing, and your head coach is standing behind. Steve will probably turn around and say, I don't care how we win. If he does it, let him take the credit. Steve's the one that's in charge as, as we see at the moment. So, you know, it's no different to think what like I said to you that on that talk sport interview, it needs a spark. It needs a, it could be a different, it could be me and you in there. It just gives, they're good players. They could give him a lift. Yeah. And he's done that. And, you know, whether you play on that as psychologically and you feed off that and think, well, that's what the ref, I couldn't care less if he's the next thing since Pep Guardiola. But I know the game and I know I understand how coaches work. He's just given them a bit of direction. So I don't, if we can, kick on from this and win a few more games and, and start looking forward instead of over our shoulder. I, you know, we can hide behind this myth that he's the next thing since life, but I couldn't care less. Yeah, that's fair enough. Chip has just says, if there was uh, one bit of advice you would give to somebody starting off in football, what would it be? Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Give your heart and soul to it because um, that I'd sell that to my sons, you know, the kids, you know, play. If, if you give this game everything you got, it would give you untold back. Uh, and that's how I've tried to live my life with the game because I wasn't the most talented, I wasn't the most gifted, but I, I gave everything I had. And then when I retired at 35, nearly 30, I was ready to retire. I, I didn't have anything else to give. So from that point of view, but if someone starting off is, you know, respect the game and enjoy it. Uh, and, and as I said, give everything you've got to it because it'll give you, give you everything back if you can. Uh, last couple of questions. Thoughts on Bruce's comments on his choice of Atu? Obviously, he had to add him to the 25-man squad, but it just sounded as if he wasn't bothered who he added, really. Yeah, I, I, I know. And sometimes that's that's disheartening. You know, I want, you know, when we had Kevin and and even Kenny to, to an extent and Sir Bobby, they knew everybody. But they knew they knew everybody. They knew people on the turnstiles. They knew people there. You've got to have some influence in your game you know in your club in your and what in your employees what you're doing you know for me it's it's a little bit disheartening that it ain't funny you know when he said about i'll do it my way and frank's it ain't we're, this ain't funny you know it's not we want to have fun we want to have fun but what we're going through at the moment is not funny and not knowing someone is not really great is it what does that make someone feel like so as i said you know whether you agree with it or not you know um like i said i was brought up with people that you know that knew everybody in the club, you know, you, Bobby Robson would walk into the, the, the lounge or walk into the club shop and hi, Susie, hi this, hi that. And, you know, he would know people and he would give people your time. And that's what you, part of your job and criteria is of being a club and, and being the, the manager of that club. Yeah. Mike Jump will finish with his question. He says, what's a typical Warren day consist of? I mean, I would imagine, first of all, it, it's uh, putting sun lotion on Warren. <laughs> putting a baseball cap on the first thing. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm still having that another. You're probably the same, my friend. When the summer comes out, I'm probably on about my fifteenth midlife crisis already in the in the, in the in the turn of the new year. So I'm at the gym. I go to my workout at the gym. I do coaching in the afternoon with my kids, and because of COVID, how it's gone, I've gone to you know four or five days a week with them coaching, um, and then you know spending time um, chilling out, looking at what's going on, watching games. We're lucky here. Anyone that's listening from America, you're getting games morning, noon and night, five days a week over here, whether it's the Premier League, Championship, Bundesliga, the Liga, they're, they're everywhere. So, you know, we're, we're very, very lucky with, with, with what we got. So, um, you know, as I said, but I do miss it. I miss football. I miss football. So that, that keeps me going as well. 
Big shout out to our sponsors, SpiderVPN, sponsoring the StreamYard application this month, and AcuteXShop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle, and Jab Signature, who designed all of our flyers. Uh, last message for the fans, Warren, before we finish. Stick with it. You know, it's going to come good. I believe that it's going to be a, a, a good summer, and, um, you know, stay safe. That's the only thing. And, you know, keep supporting, keep believing, um, and keep dreaming. That's, that's, that's what I do every day. So, no, I just wish everybody well. Great stuff. I'm back tomorrow morning, 11am with Steve Howie before he goes out on one of his walks, which he's uh, doing, which is fantastic. Uh, and then back with the three amigos tomorrow night at half past five. And then we're doing a, a special with Roy Jones Jr. for half an hour, talking a little bit of boxing tomorrow night as well, which should be interesting. Uh, kept in touch with Roy uh, for many years now, and uh, he is a legend of the game. But Warren, been an absolute pleasure having you on, mate. Uh, great to see you. And um, like we said last time, maybe he's get you on when the takeover goes through. <laughs> Well, I might be dead by then. <laughs> <laughs> you Which take care. You take care and get back, get back out of that sunshine while oh, I no. plunge through the snow. No problem. Just put my speedos on. Take care. Take care, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.